1: Chapters of Acts when he goes to Corinth, how the Lord appears to him and encourages him and gets them all excited to him and fires them up. See, the Lord appears just when we need Him most, when we're discouraged, when we're down and out, when we think we're done, we failed. Oh Lord, what have we done? We failed you again. No, no, no. I'm here. Let's get moving. I said it. You believe it. It's settled. Move.
0: That's what I see happening here. God shows up when we need Him the most. Even when we fail, we have the best cheerleader in our Heavenly Father. He encourages us to stand up and try again right away, and gives us the strength to keep going. Pastor Dave today will remind us how incredible our God truly is, and how we can rely on Him always. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Judges chapter 7, with part 3 of his message, How Many is Too Many. You are assured.
1: God loves to do the impossible. God loves to do the impossible. He loves to work in the realm of impossible and he chooses the foolish things of the world that confound the wise and I'm the biggest example of that. God loves the impossible and sometimes he puts us in impossible situations. He puts us in impossible situations so that we will do nothing but trust in him and allow him to shine and show through. And then give him the glory. Someone once said, if you can explain what's going on in your ministry, God didn't do it. I like that. I like that. If you can explain what's going on in your ministry, God didn't do it. I've told you before, I'm just a spectator here, folks, that I love what the Lord's doing. And I love watching what he's doing. And I love seeing all the wonderful things that he's doing here in Lower Township. But Gideon does exactly what the Lord tells him to do. And he's left with 300 men. One person I remember hearing said "The 300 middle-aged bald guys. 300 men are left. 300 guys. The odds went from 4 to 1 to 451. But, pretty interesting when you do some studying. That in 1 Kings 18, it was Elijah against 450 of the prophets of Baal. Another 450 to 1. And God showed himself strong. We all know the story. The same odds. See, God wants to show the world his strength. He wants us weak and humble. When we're weak, what happens? He's strong. When we're weak, he is strong. If you are in a weak and vulnerable position, God can show himself strong on your behalf because he's looking around to do that. People around you see an impossible situation. Think, oh man, you're never going to get out of this. I don't know how that's going to happen to you, but... God provides. When our two kids graduated from high school, the twins graduated from high school in 1995, it was time for them to go off to college. Woo-hoo! And even in 1995, college was no small penny. One of them wanted to go to Drexel, which at that time was only $21,000 a semester. The other one wanted to go to Westchester, which was out-of-state tuition. We'll pray for you guys. We'll pray for you. It's going to be great. well, Praise God, they both graduated from their schools, Drexel and Westchester State. To this day, we have no idea, but the Lord miraculously did wonderful things. That's what you do. God puts you in impossible situations. Impossible situations with our finances, with our relationships, with our families. He puts us in impossible situations at our workplaces. Why? So that he can show himself strong when we rely on him. If you're in an impossible situation, you go, all right, I'll take care of this. I know God's up in heaven going, okay. And he watches as we try to go through. And pretty soon we start bleeding because we're banging our head against the wall. And we finally turn and go, God, he says, okay, I'm here. He wants to show the world his strength. See, especially with people. I read a fantastic book by Edward Welch. It's called When People Are Big, God Is Small. When people are big in your life and you're trusting in people and not in God, your God becomes very small. I serve a big God. Mighty, mighty big God. Paul wanted to be strong for the Lord. Paul wanted desperately to be strong for the Lord. And he wanted the Lord to use him. And he was starting, some people think he was starting to get a little haughty. Thinking that the Lord was using him mightily. But if you read 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7-10, through it said by Paul's writing that the Lord gave him something to buffet him. A messenger from Satan. It was called a thorn in the flesh to buffet him. And I think what he's saying is, Paul, you're getting a little haughty there. You might be thinking that you're doing a good job, so I'm going to send this along just to keep you humble a little bit, to keep you there. Paul prayed three times to have that removed. And you know God's answer. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Too many, Gideon. Get them ready. So Gideon's left with 300 guys, and God said, okay, now we can work. Now the numbers are right. We're ready to go. But God wanted Gideon to attack the Midians that night. But Gideon was fearful again. Gideon becomes fearful. Look at verse 9. And it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Porah, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. We see this all in past tense. I've given this to you. I've given the land to you, he said to Joshua. I've given this to you. I've delivered them into your hands. All past tense, because God sees it completed. God sees it completed. There was a battle to be fought. Don't get me wrong. But God was already victorious. The same way in our Christian walk. There are battles to be fought. There are battles every day to fight in our Christian walk. But the battles belong to the Lord. And he has won the victory. And God doesn't ask us to just look forward and try to fight the battles. He doesn't stand up there and fold his arms and look at us. No, he's right there and he's fought the battles before us. He's cleared the way. We must believe in God's promises. And when we see him do great things, we're humbled. To know that our Lord and Savior, the God of the universe, cares so much about us. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. I venture to say that he knows things about us that we haven't even found out about ourselves yet. He knows those things about us. We can claim no merit in victory. But we must give all glory and honor to God. You now, hope and love are extremely important Christian virtues, but it's only faith that pleases God. Only our faith that pleases God, and there's an old formula that has been tried and true, and has been proven to be true. And it's a three-step formula, and I'm going to give it to you today. God said it, I believe it. It's settled. The it's formula. God said it, I believe it. It's settled. God, being ever faithful, gives Gideon yet another sign to encourage his faith. Let's look at. Go from 10 to 14. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Malachites and all the people of the east were lying in their valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand of the sea shore and in a multitude. It must have been some sight to see all these animals there and all these people. When Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion and said, I had a dream, and to my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into the hand God has delivered Midian to the whole camp. (laughs) A loaf of barley. Something as humble and simple as a loaf of barley. God is going to defeat the Midianites with a loaf of bread. I love it. I love it. I just love it. You don't want to go down there by yourself, take your servant. God is always willing. Moses, if you don't want to go, take Aaron with you. Take Aaron. I'll let him. Moses does all the work anyhow. They hear this conversation. Here, God is confirming what's going to happen. What he's already told Gideon. God is confirming it through a dream. I love that. God humbled them. He said, well, we're going to knock over. It's going to be a giant loaf of bread. Roll through the camp and take out the Midianites. They're going to call it the sword of Gideon. you got to like this. You don't think God had a sense of humor. I don't know, man. Look at verse 15. I love verse 15. I love verse 15. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. He worshipped. This is significant in our story. It shows us now where Gideon's heart is. The heart that started in a wine press hiding is now totally solid for the Lord. And when he sees the Lord's hand at work, when he sees this and hears it and knows it and is encouraged, first thing out of his mouth is praise you, Lord. And he worships him. I can imagine him falling down at this point and worshiping. It must have been a wonderful sight. We cannot be successful warriors in this battle called Christianity until we are successful worshipers of the one true living God. If you are not a true living worshiper of the one true living God, you cannot be successful in the Christian life. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit. We must worship him that way. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshiped. Now he's all confident. Now he's all ready to go. The Lord has done it. The Lord, he believes. I mean, how many times do we have to be told? How many times do we have to be told before we actually believe? Before we actually take it into our heart and believe? How many times do we have to be prayed for? How many times do we have to really know it? How many times do we have to see it? We're so carnal. And I'm as bad as any one of you. We have to be shown so many different times. But God said, no, you walk by faith, not by sight. But God continues to encourage us and encourage us and encourage us. And it's neat because when you look at this thing, I think of the Apostle Paul. And I had this conversation with Bill the other day. The Apostle Paul, coming from Athens, basically like a dog with his tail between his legs because he thought he did a horrible job. There was no salvation that we read of the Athen philosophers He got up there and he stammered. He didn't even give the gospel like he normally gives it. I mean, many, many people have lamb blasted him because of this. And I know his heart was feeling, oh, man, did I mess up. We read in those first chapters of Acts when he goes to Corinth, how the Lord appears to him and encourages him and gets them all excited to him and fires them up. See, the Lord appears just when we need Him most, when we're discouraged, when we're down and out, when we think we're done, we failed. Oh, Lord, what have we done? We failed you again. No, no, no. I'm here. Let's get moving. I said it. You believe it. It's settled. Move. That's what I see happening here. That's what I see happening here. Let's read through the end of the chapter. Then Gideon divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside their pitchers. Why do they use the strangest things in the whole wide world to fight a war? I mean, I'm like, holy mackerel, this is crazy. At Jericho, God says we're gonna use the band. What? We're gonna send the band out. What do you mean we're gonna send the band out? Yeah, we're gonna send the band out. That's what I'm gonna do next time there's a fight. Worship team, go get them. This is crazy. Everybody get a pitcher. Everybody get a trumpet and everybody get a torch. Okay, what am I going to do? Club them to death? What are we going to do? Get water and throw it in their face? This is crazy. But God chooses the strangest things in the battles. Pretty soon we're going to be seeing somebody who killed a whole bunch of people with the jawbone of an ass. I mean, this is crazy. God uses all kinds of things for weapons, but his weapons are not carnal. They're not those type of war Our weapons are spiritual. Our weapons are spiritual. I love that about this. I love that. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, The sword of Gideon, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him, remember, they divided in hundreds, there were three sections. Came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they were had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke their pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands, and the trumpets in their right hands were blowing them, they cried The Sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran her and cried out and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled to Beth Arcadia. Towards Zerathem, as far as the border of those guys, by Tamith. And the men of Israel gathered together from the Thali, Asher, and all the Manasseh, and pursued the Midianites. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout the mountains of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, and seize from them the watering places as far as Bethbara and to the Jordan. And all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Bethbara and the Jordan. And they captured two princes to the Midianites. Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb. They killed at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon to the other side of the Jordan. Lord encouraged Gideon and he was ready. He got great courage from the Lord's encouragement. He was ready to roll. He said, follow me and do exactly as I said. He's a true leader now. He's a true leader. Follow me and do exactly as I said. Exactly as I say, he has come a long way from that threshing floor. He's come a long way of being a hiding coward in that flaying floor. It's amazing what the Lord can accomplish with a willing and available heart, even a heart that has little faith. It's amazing what the Lord can do. I wonder what all that sounded like. All that hooping and hollering, they're blowing the trumpet. The trumpets are called shofars, by the way. The ram's horn, blowing the shofar. They're screaming, the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. Of course, this is what the guy said. The guy in the dream said, it's the sword of the Lord. It's the sword of Gideon. Imagine they're breaking the pitchers and there's all this loud stuff. The guys are jumping up out of their tents and are running around. It must look like a Chinese fire drill. Everybody's running around their own way, bumping at each other, falling over. They don't know what they're doing. And finally, they're starting to kill each other. They're starting to have each other. They're starting to fight with each other. There was mass confusion. And then they said, we're out of here, Jack, and they all left. They all fled. Gideon calls the trumpet, and the rest of Israel comes. Now, I'm assuming, and I know it's a bad thing to assume because it doesn't say, but I'm assuming a lot of the men that returned were some of the 32,000 that had left earlier. All of a sudden, their heart got a little stronger, and they said, okay, we're with you, Gideon. You're doing a good job here. We want to get on the mix. And they came back, and they chased these guys. Really interesting here that he kills the one prince at a wine press. Interesting. The story started at a wine press, and it ends with him being a conquering hero at the wine press. So what can we learn from Gideon's story? How do we wrap all six and seven up, Gideon's story for tonight? How do we look at this? Simple. God is looking for men and women who are available. He's looking for men and women that he can accomplish his purpose through. He wants to empower them with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He wants to make them ready. He wants to encourage them. And he wants to move them forth into this battle for Christianity. And I think that's what we can learn from Gideon. He doesn't need large numbers. I've said this before. Every great revival that ever happened in the world started out with one. Every great revival started out with one person. didn't start out with a throng of people. It may have ended with a throng of people, but it started out with one. These Greg Lurie crusades that have been going on now since the late 80s started out with one person, Pastor Greg Lurie, praying about the possibility of reaching young people with the gospel, went to Chuck Smith and said, I have an idea. Chuck said, go for it. And now it's in All over the world, huge stadiums, many, many people all over the place, and people are coming to the Lord. God's looking for men and women who will stand up for Him. He doesn't need numbers, and He doesn't need gifted leaders. He's using me, He doesn't need a gifted leader. When a church starts to depend on bigness, when a church starts to depend on big buildings and big budgets and big crowds, instead of depending upon the word of God, our faith becomes misplaced. When we start depending on programs other than the word of God, our faith is misplaced. And sometimes God doesn't give the blessing. When we as leaders, when I depend upon my education, when I depend upon my skill, when I depend upon my experience other than relying on the Holy Spirit, God will look for another. God will look for another to do his bidding. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So what is important? We must make ourselves available to God. And we must allow him to guide us by his Holy Spirit. Even if we fully don't understand his plan, because if you notice, every time God gives us a plan, he says, go here. doesn't tell you what to do once you get there. He just tells you to get there. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a guide unto my path. You shine a flashlight out. It doesn't illuminate the entire place. But you know where you're going. It shines one step ahead of you. The word of God shines one step ahead of us as we follow the word of God. And when we get to the place where God wants us, then he reveals what it is we're supposed to do. Have you ever had that moment in your life when you just knew you should be someplace? I have to be here. I don't know why, but I have to be here. I've got a dupe to this right here. And then when you get there, all of a sudden the Lord puts something upon your heart. Talk to this person. Do this. Do that. That's being available to God. That's the way Philip was. Philip was in Samaria. Samaria. A huge revival was going on. People were getting saved left and right. And all of a sudden he gets tapped on the shoulder and the Lord says, Philip, go to the desert. What? The action's here, Lord. The desert, there's nothing there but dust and dirt. No, go to the desert. Philip obeyed the Lord. Philip obeyed the Lord and went to Gaza. And when he got there, he saw an Ethiopian eunuch who driving in his chariot, who stopped by the waterside and he just leaned on the tree and he said, listen. He didn't speak. He didn't go up there and say something boldly. He waited. And he heard the Ethiopian eunuch reading Isaiah. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, How am I supposed to know what this is? How am I supposed to know? And then the guy said, Go. Philip goes over there. And the eunuch ends up being baptized. And they believe that was the start of the revival and taking the gospel to Ethiopia. One person, would you leave a revival? In the midst of a revival, if God told you to, wow, that's how willing we need to be. That's how willing we need to be. When we don't fully understand the plans of God, we step out in faith and we walk. We walk by faith because we're not alone. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Where you go, I will be with you even to the end of the age. I am with you always. Always. If I have to go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the helper, the one who will empower you to do the work you need to do. He will never leave you. You will be there. But go forth in my main and make disciples. Notice Jesus didn't say, go forth and get everybody saved. He said, no, go and make disciples. Make disciples. Jesus didn't say to me, Dave, lead the way. Jesus looked at me and said, follow me. That's what we need to do. That's what Gideon was doing. Following the leading of God. Yeah, he had questions. If you can't identify with a person like Gideon and his faith, wow. There's a true identification here. The weak faith that Gideon had. The weak faith. Jesus said, follow me. That's what we're going to do. We're going to follow Jesus. Jesus.
0: The Old Testament book of Judges that we've been studying with Pastor Dave Shank gives us a glimpse into the intriguing history of the nation of Israel. The continuous pattern we discover finds them following God, then turning away from Him, becoming aware of their sin, and finally repenting and stepping back into God's path. Each time, God brought a judge to lead them creatively back to Himself, showing His power and mercy time and time again. Israel's history is one we still see today. Many of us fall into the same cyclical relationship with God. We follow Him for a time, fall into sin, and need to be reminded of our errors. God is always faithful to forgive us, though, when we come to Him in repentance. His mercy is new every day and is big enough to cover every sin. We are so glad you tuned in today to Assure hope. We hope you've been encouraged by what you heard. If you have any questions about this ministry or if you want to know more about the forgiveness God can offer you, please give us a call. Our phone number is 609-884-5821. we love to pray with you and we'll do our best to answer your questions. That phone number again is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to listen to more teachings from Assure Hope, just visit our website, assurehoperadio.com. Feel free to download and share Pastor Dave's teachings or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks for being a part of our time here today, and we hope you'll join us again on A Sure Hope.